all all day I've been singing um uh oh black Christmas I gave you my heart. <laughs> you should oh man you should sing that we could do that for the intro or outro that'd be so cool. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, Black Christmas, I gave you my life, <laughs> but the very next day you gave it away. <laughs> Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Shout out to LeBron James. Come on the pod, dude. Like, LeBron James. LeBron James. I gotta rewatch 8th grade. Anyways. Oh, oh God. <laughs> so good. I got so upset watching that movie. Uh, in, like, a good, yes. in like a good way. Uh, yeah. So many of those scenes are framed like a horror movie. Yes. Uh, and I loved it. Speaking of horror movies, thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can follow us at Trilove Podcast. You can follow them at Trilon Cinema on Twitter. I am Jason. You can follow me at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. And we've got a special guest with us today. Hello. Uh, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, my dude. I'm Matt. Uh, you can follow me on everything um uh twitter instagram and letterboxd all the same username Ooh. m-a-t-t-y underscore o-s-t nice o-s-t maddie ost maddie ost, ost. maddie god maddie why ost. did i not get that the fucking first time uh if you want to kiss right up on that mic like, you, I, you i really hate it how you phrase that every time you come say on. it it's okay it, it breaks the tension breaks the ice you in the room. you balked at come on the pod but I did go ahead and kiss right up on that mic mm-hmm. I haven't said the word that you hate so much yet uh, do not tempt me fair I won't go any further do not tempt line. me anyways uh, thanks for joining us yes, thanks for thank watching you so much with for us. being on our podcast I'm we are s- having I'm so excited sorry <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna interrupt he, you I'm his, so his head is turning red he is sweating profusely Steam oh god it's expanding oh, oh my god <laughs> <laughs> he's now unfortunately dead uh it was really great to have him on, though. Uh, yeah. Thank you for thank you. It really has been a black Christmas. Uh, ouch. Uh, I, yes. Uh, if you celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas uh, Eve to y'all. If you don't, Merry December twenty fourth. That's when we're going to try and get this episode out. Uh, because, as you may have heard from Cody's uh, already saying it, we're going to be talking about the movie Black Christmas, the original from nineteen seventy four, not the recently released um, re- remake. As I understand, there was another remake in 2006 of this mm. film. So this is uh, the first go at a movie that eventually had three goes uh, with varying degrees of success and popularity. Yeah. kind of makes sense, though, because like, I feel like there are a lot of tropes that at first I was like, they're wow, they're really recycling these tropes. But then like seeing it came out in, what, 1974? Mm-hmm. Like, it may very well have laid the groundwork for some of these things, which we can definitely talk about. Yeah, so it's I, probably probably an okay place to start. I kind of want to get back to Matt yeah. for a sec. Oh, you, sure. do it, do it. How, how did you come into our orbit? 
Um, I came into your orbit uh, because I am friends with Cody. Um, I have known Cody for going on 10 years now. Yeah, you have. Um, Cody and I went to college together, uh, played Quidditch together in college. Yep. Uh, That's and then a fact. I, I, I like to think of, I'm, I'm friends, I'm, I know Cody from Quidditch and Friendship. Yeah. Or Friendship and Quidditch, whichever yeah. you prefer. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever one's more important here. Yeah. Oh, come on. I, it's all important. Yeah. <laughs> Shucks. And you watch movies? Yes. You know that each other yeah. like movies? Cody, uh, Cody is my movie guy that's the that's one of the <laughs> that's one of the tough things about uh or one of the interesting things about that relationship for sure is now because my head's expanding no yes. <laughs> uh because yeah we definitely would go on like movie tangents in college and pretty much leave everyone in the dust there was a nice. yeah we i constantly think about that one day where we watched uh we cranked out four joe wright movies yeah didn't we? man Just what a two great boys day cranking was. it out yeah <laughs> exactly is, oh uh joe wright what did he do he did uh on a, on a Anna Karenina, uh, Hana, um, <laughs> Han- what Hana? Yeah, Sorry, Hana yeah, Karenina. That's, that's right. Um, 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 um. Let's see if we can get him up. Uh, Atonement. Uh-huh. One more. And oh, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Woo, oh, okay, okay. I have been told to watch the Pride and Prejudice adaptation. And this has is- also and has subsequently done some uh, some rough ones. Yeah. Pan, 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 where where uh, what's her name plays Tiger Lily? Oh, wait, 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 oh you mean Mara. the yeah, Mara. Oh, the um, Hugh Jackman Pan? Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, also that movie where. Jamie Foxx plays a violin player. Who's like he directed the the soloist. Yes, that's what it's called. Wow, I've never I seen that. I didn't realize. That. I heard mixed things about. I heard that mixed movie. things about it too. That it's a bit respectability politics. Because it was like it was like a Robert Downey Jr.'s in a uh, you know a franchise now. He's Iron Man, and it's 2010 or 2009 or whatever. We need him in a. He can do a smaller movie too. So that's like we're mm-hmm. gonna run with this. And I yeah. remember it not being great. He's still a serious artist, which is why they're now having him do Doctor Doolittle yeah. in Kill theaters me. 2020. Kill me. It's his passion project. Dude, can you give him a break? Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't that's know. Like, enough that's about like his a big. That's life. like the big joke. Is like you know what? Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have to be in Doctor. He's finally Little. free from Marvel's shackles. <laughs> Dis- yeah, Disney had him on an 18 film deal, so yeah, he had to Ouch. do that. That final film. He's also going to be the 102nd Dalmatian in the next adaptation. <laughs> uh, so let's get back to the film that we're going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. um, uh, Black Christmas, 1974, directed by, what is his name, Bob Clark, who also did A Christmas Story. Yeah. Right? Oh. Yeah. Uh, he's got a very colorful filmography, too. It's very interesting. A I Christmas would love Story to... is the highlight. Um, he directed Porky's. Uh, he directed, um, I think, Baby Geniuses, too, is on there. What? Dude. Oh, he's part of his filmography? God. Man. This uh, guy, is he still? Yeah. No, he died in 2007. Oh, man. Uh, R.I.P. I don't know um, why, why I'm disappointed by that. I'd never have a chance to, like, actually talk to him. Yeah, I haven't seen a lot of the movies he's made, uh, especially, like, the questionable ones, but, like, obviously he's brought a lot to the table that people Uh, have, like, discussed and, uh, like, have been influenced by. So that means something. I'm going to fly... Also, interesting that he is American, but primarily directed Canadian films, which yeah. this movie is a yeah. Canadian mm-hmm. production. Watching it the whole time, I was thinking, this looks nothing like any college town I've ever seen in America. Right. <laughs> oh, this, has, this has to be Canadian. Yeah. yeah. It was. And it was. There are actual cops here doing, like, some cop work. <laughs> uh, yeah, Fuck cops. Fuck cops. I'm regretful to report that his first directorial or his first feature length film was titled She-Man. Yikes. She-Man, a story of fixation. Uh, a soldier <laughs> is forced to take estrogen and wear lingerie when he's blackmailed by a violent transvestite. Ooh. Man, oh man, does that sound... Yikes. Uh, Bob Clark canceled. Gone too <laughs> soon. Uh, but Black Christmas is a thoroughly enjoyable, thoroughly upsetting uh, movie. Very yeah. unpleasant. Um, <clears throat> is this the one that is, like, had another title? It was released as another title? I think... 
you guys maybe talked about this when I you think were, Harry. I should probably have brought him on. Uh, if I and let me know if this doesn't sound correct, but there's a Silent Night. Deadly Night. That is a completely that's a completely film. different movie. And then there's Silent Night, Evil Night, which it sounds like you guys said was the an alternate title for Black yeah. Christmas. If you if if you find this to be untrue, uh, please at Harry at Shiitake Harry. Yep. But uh, I believe he told me after a little bit of googling that this movie, uh, Black Christmas, was re released or in some territories released as Silent Night, Evil Night okay. because. People because the studio feared that uh, that viewers might mistake it for a black exploitation film. Oh sure, Black oh, okay. Christmas. I mean, um, not completely un like yeah. warranted or earned in 1974. It's not the worst idea. Um, there there have been a lot of bad I- remarkable ideas. Remarkable lack of diversity in this film. Yeah, but I I noticed that as well. There's one scene on the college where there are two black people that are walking through campus. And yeah. it's like wow, this is the only they're treated like normal yeah. people. Wow, <laughs> yeah. the camera kind of focused on them, and I was like, was, great, was, new was, characters. Yeah. Oh no, yes, <laughs> nope, we're gonna. Let them walk past and then focus on this uh, glasses wearing toothpick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> uh, basic plot outset is that a sorority house in some Canadian town uh, metropolitan area is slowly terrorized by a home in- home invader who is uh, hiding out in the attic and picking them off one by one. Um, there's a lot more plot behind some of the characters uh, that really feeds into this movie. We went into this movie, I think, all sort of expecting, and I'm not going to speak for everybody else, but like based on the very quick conversation we had before the movie started, that this wasn't going to be like that. This was going to be sort of like cheesy slasher, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which it has that in its DNA, mm-hmm. yep. uh, and it obviously like sp- sprays that DNA all over the rest of horror cinema for the rest of uh, eternity, mm. having been one of the huge influences on Halloween at all. Yep. Uh, but it also is like legitimately even in 2019 pretty upsetting pretty mm-hmm. uncomfortable and often like terrifying uh and i just wanted to get a quick uh vibe check on y'all's opinion of like whether or not a you liked it and b if it worked yeah um i i wasn't sure where this movie was going because the whole um tonal expectations which you know we all have going into movies for better and for worse um it does start off, especially from the uh, the character Barb, who's kind of like the the alpha of the house. Um, the story is framed up around her at the start, and she is like they're having a party. She is uh, like visibly um, not an unpleasant person, but kind of like uh, uh, very brash and and blunt. Mm-hmm. And um, she takes the lead on these creepy phone calls that are coming, and she's drinking, she's smoking in the house, and she gets uh, drunker throughout the film. Um, and then she she leaves the film, and, and we'll talk about that. Um, and then the movie pivots into, I think, something better. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily more interesting, but it becomes, a, you know, like a home invasion, um, slow burn thriller after that. And uh, it maybe unintentionally, probably almost certainly unintentionally, plays into some really interesting, um, like, socio-political dynamics uh, that really like that that just kept ramping up um and uh i liked the uh, ensemble well enough i liked john saxon um who uh, uh, you'll recognize his name from our episode on enter the dragon yep the boy yeah he is uh literally the good cop and the good cop bad cop uh dynamic that they have going on and um the good cop bad cop <laughs> dynamic just to sidetrack yeah isn't so much like good cop bad cop as good cop complete shit ass person yeah like, we'll talk about fucking nash too fucking i'm sure nash uh <laughs> piece of shit um i'll i'm saying too many things no, uh, I, I 
I, I think I like really did like this movie. Uh, Matt, what do you think? I, I yeah, I really agree. I think that the things that you're talking about were definitely things that that jumped out at me. I think that I'm looking at this thing in layers because I'm trying to think about it from the perspective of someone seeing it in the time it was released and yeah. sort of, you know, what the sort of cultural connotations and things that were, you know, everything that was going on at the time it was released. I mean, just sort of the cursory look of things that I did on the film. It seems like bits of it were pulled as any good horror movie does. Bits of it are pulled from reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and also sort of these longstanding urban legend kind of tropes the babysitter and the yeah. you know the, the, the call is coming from inside the house mm-hmm. I was I, every time I hear that I'm like is this the first time that was ever used and this was I thought that too yeah. is, was this legitimately like the first time that trope was pulled in a horror I movie know. I don't know I so, don't know I mean so that aspect of it is like whoa so you're thinking yeah. about it from a past contemporary view of it and it's like wow this is doing a lot of really interesting really innovative really like you said, there's this there's this layer of social commentary that's mm-hmm. fascinating to it. But then, you know, you pull the lens of watching it in 2019, mm-hmm. and there's, I think, even more to chew on there. Yeah. I mean, and it's surprising. I was expecting it to be a lot more tone deaf than it was. Yeah. Um, there are some surprisingly interesting cultural pieces there that are surprisingly progressive mm-hmm. um, and things that were probably meant to be creepy in one way in 1974, but viewed through the lens of 2019 are creepy in a whole other way. Oh yeah, and and so like those are the types of things that I that I was kind of looking at, and those are the things that made the, that made the film interesting to me. Yeah, what what I was looking for was kind of what you guys were looking for was like uh, beyond the cheese, beyond the like obvious exploitation grindhouse style that you know you come to expect from at least the trailer. Like I don't know how much of this movie or how many of these trailers you had seen before going, but like at the trial line they've been playing for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, ever since just after Halloween, I think actually to sort of capitalize again on that uh, on the on the holiday slasher genre, mm-hmm. um, I similarly really enjoyed the movie. Uh, I like surprisingly good acting, mm-hmm. some really effective directing and, and camera work, mm-hmm. um, which again totally not really necessary in a movie of this genre. Yeah, uh, like it could be bad and still be effective as like sort of gory slasher, but it. Like it holds shots sometimes that get really, really uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I'm thinking of one specifically where um, Jess and Phil are uh, receiving a call, and in the background you just sort of see like amorphous shadows shadow. moving, yeah. and like uh, we can get into that uh, yeah. uh, l- later on. But it was suffice to say it's it's a pretty scary movie to look at because of like how naturally it seems to be lit, yeah. and how like tight some of the framing mm-hmm. is on some of the shots. Yeah, they, um, like, with this movie going hard, uh, like, what eventually stood out to me, and, like, that was, uh, that shot was a great example of it, um, specifically, like, transitions. There was some, gr- like, bringing, uh, like, going from one, there aren't a lot of threads going on in this movie. One of them happening in the background is uh, there is a, a high school student that gets murdered that's not a part of this, like, sorority house that we're focused on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's occupying the attention of some of our characters um, from the sorority house, some of the police forces also uh, taking action with it. Um, there's this scene where they find the body of this girl uh, through a search party, and the mother's on the scene. She takes a look at the corpse, and she, like, um, rears up and starts to scream, and taking place of her voice is the telephone ringing noise, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden we're back in the sorority house, and I yeah. was like, damn, like... Like, you did not have to do this, Bob Clark. Yeah. I'm so glad that you did. There was another cut. I believe it's when the major, is it Ma- Miss Mac or mm-hmm. whatever her name yeah. is? Yeah, yep. Uh, who is played by the old lady we just... Marion... Marion Waldman? Marion Waldman. I thought we... Anyway, um, 
I thought we had mentioned her name. No, nope. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. Yeah. Uh, Rest in peace. Anyway, yeah. she she is uh, like many other people in this movie, unceremoniously murdered uh, in the attic and not found for a while. And almost immediate, I think She's it's never that found. Yeah. Too- uh, spoiler alert. Yes, that's. Yes. <laughs> we, we should talk about the ending of this movie because it is a real good stinger. Yeah, I didn't ending. want to cut off your thread. No, Sorry. Continue. Uh, no, just the, the uh, like another shot, uh, like yeah. smash cut that was really good. It was, I believe it's when she dies and she gets the hook that's sent through her yeah. like jaw and her mouth is open agape. And then I think it's right then that you see the taxi driver. He's like pounding on the window and he's yeah. got his mouth wide open, yep. like sort of oh, distorted man. through the glass. Great. Really like, like, understated psychedelic vibes to some of that cinematography. Yeah. I really liked how that pan- how that worked, uh, how that like was effectively utilized, not just like cheesy, because it right. was like oh, of course you're going to do that. It's now like a little bit goofy, but it worked really quickly to resolve tension in that moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it might be worthwhile for us to just briefly comment on like the characters that we focus on. Yes. Because everybody thankfully has like pretty um, easy names. Like, yeah, really easy names. Monosyllabic for the most part. Um, we mentioned Barb. She's the, the one we kind of start with. Uh, and then she, her presence kind of peters out, but she's sort of um, beyond the, the house mother, Mrs. Mack, uh, who hides booze in all sorts of comedic places in the house. Uh, and who Barb probably takes cues from on that front. Um, uh, yeah, Barb's kind of like the the mother hen of the house. She's someone that other people in the house kind of look up to, um, and they kind of critique her too because she's um, like one of the more uh, outgoing, uh, rambunctious of the bunch. Uh, she pulls over some shit on Nash, the shitty cop, trying to tell him that the term fellatio is like a transfer or like a, an, a, a something for something phone numbers. Canadian. Something Canadian. Oh, yeah. No, this man. is a, I mean, you get you. There's definitely some insights into this movie from a, I mean, a removed perspective. Mm-hmm. Things that could not be done today yeah. become very critical plot points. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that I mean, there's a there's a whole thing about a phone being tapped, which you gain incredible insight into what the phone system was like in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. and how it is nothing like it is today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's uh, she's basically giving a, a, a code for like an access code or a or a designation for their phone number. And yeah. yes, that turns into comedy. Yeah. And he's a grown ass man who doesn't know what fellatio, fellatio is. is. Yeah. <laughs> being yeah played by a drunk college girl. Stunted. Yeah, cops. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, good genre. But then um, you're, yeah, you're. But then you're, you're sort of, as you said, the the yeah. the, the, the the focus ten, sort of shifts halfway through, and we we take on Jess. Jess, who's played by Olivia Hussey, mm. who people may remember. I think her most famous role is uh, in the Franco Zeffirelli version of Romeo and Juliet. You are correct. Which IMDb is, has that as it too. Which is. Uh, was very innovative and crazy at the time because it was both of the actors in it were actually teenagers playing Romeo and Juliet, you know, very, very scandalous. Yeah. Um, but she is sort of the beta in the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, she is kind of this general... I think that her first sort of presentation is the the person who's, who sort of criticizes... Uh, or tells uh, tells Barb that she's going too far, yeah. and so mm-hmm. you sort of see her as this sort of bridge to being the good girl that uh, the the first uh, person that gets murdered yeah. is, and the bad girl that yeah. Barb it's, is. It's a funny uh, inversion. Like she is presented as somewhat coquettish mm-hmm. and like a little bit more reserved, uh, and like. In another horror movie, it would have been the the virgin trope of, like, the one that can't die, the one who's, like, you know, uh, immune. But, yeah. like, the where the plot really turns, and spoiler alert, I guess, is 
where he she reveals to her boyfriend that she's pregnant mm-hmm. and then she wants to have an abortion and it's like a direct inversion immediately yeah. of that trope uh, well and even even more immediately so like speaking of Jess acting as a bridge she is also the last one to see Claire um, the first victim of the movie when she's alive um, Barb says some things that come off as kind of uh, offensive to Claire who's the um, I, I think Barb may like she makes a mention that uh, Claire's a virgin. I think um, she's a professional virgin. Professional, <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh my God. What a what a descriptor. Um, she doesn't drink a lot. Uh, this Claire and just makes sure that she's you know okay. And Claire's gonna she's gonna go upstairs following this uh, creepy ass phone call, uh, which was truly horrific to listen to. Um, like if you listen to any like I don't frequent true crime podcasts. I have friends that mm-hmm. do, but like. Holy shit! Does a call like that hold up as something that's like, yep. like could be legitimately yeah. real? Um, so the, that was spooky. Yes. Um, the uh, so we've got Jess. We've got um, I've already forgotten her name. Uh, Barb. 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 Uh, we've got Phil, who is yep. own, her inter- interiority is never isn't really very often exposed. No. Yeah. She's. I think it's mentioned once that she has a boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, and they mention his name, but they, I don't think he really. They all like part of the vaguely plot. have boyfriends. They're right. there at the start, and then after this, um, I think Barb's on a call and she shoots everybody away because everybody's being really loud or, or something. But right. I think like it's just kind of the 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 atmosphere is that they all have like a male partner mm-hmm. in some facet. Well, and that becomes. I think part of uh, and a layer of the social commentary there as well is part of the reason that no one takes the the seriousness of this to heart is because these are sorority girls. The general feeling from society, from the police, from uh, the father of Claire who comes and becomes sort of a, a supporting character throughout all of this is that these are girls they are i mean there's a there's a degree there's the movie plays with the idea of them essentially being slut shamed by society mm-hmm. that you know these girls all have multiple partners they're all fast they're all drinking they're all what have you and it's part of the reason why we don't need to take them seriously mm-hmm. the idea that a girl has been missing for 24 hours and the first assumption is, oh, she just ran off with someone. Yeah. yeah. And the second assumption is also that she just ran off to someone with someone to somewhere else. Right. right. <laughs> and that that is a particularly interesting uh, beat to me because, you know, we talk about this movie, um, if not establishing tropes, like very early on, just kind of in this genre's uh, history, like um, perpetuating certain tropes. The first death of the movie comes from this character, Claire, who is like very not, you know, what this movie paints as a typical sorority girl. And she, like, she's, you know, not being, uh, you know, as these movies traditionally do, they punish those who have sex. They punish those who engage in like, quote unquote, sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. And Claire is not any of that. And yet this movie like it sets this sort of tone early this i don't know if it's like take no prisoners i don't know what you call it but like the the fact that their first victim and only victim uh of this main ensemble for a while mm-hmm. is like the like the the non sinful one mm-hmm. of the, the group quote unquote is, innocent one yeah yeah that that's it's fascinating mm-hmm. to me well i throughout this i'm not a scholar on what the women's rights movement. And I don't, I know even less about what it might have looked like in Canada at the time, right. if it did look much different. Uh, but like six, seven years after the summer of love, this movie comes out and is all about um, sort of like the inch that's been given to women in modern society at the time. And that a mile is being taken mm-hmm. again, right. like yeah. by almost every man in this movie yeah, uh, yeah. in one way or another, like, 
like I said, the um, the plot kind of turns once Jess reveals her uh, anxious struggle is that she's pregnant and her uh, boyfriend, Peter, who is a wants to be a concert pianist. Yep. Uh, she is pregnant and wants to have an abortion. He he's got that, that uh, classic line of like, you only ever think about yourself, mm-hmm. don't you? When she admits it to him and she says, you know, I want to have an abortion. This is my choice sort of thing. Uh, and it becomes like a point of friction between them enough so that the plot almost becomes like you start to suspect that Peter is the one killing everybody. Yeah. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, by the way, played by, um, I'll probably butcher this, uh, Kier Dulea, um, most famously known for his role uh, in 2001 A Space Odyssey as Dr. Bowman. Most famously known for looking like if uh, Viggo Mortensen were in The Monkees. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's me. Yeah, I forgot he is. That God, that guy. was a joke. Nobody yeah, laughed no, at the that joke. Was good. Just like, yeah, yeah, we we believe that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's a good joke, Jason. Uh, so for for me, the movie like uh, Cody was talking earlier about how it slowly like not maybe it's not slowly, but it sort of transitions from um, this slasher film genre pretty quickly to uh, something more slow burn, something more thrilling and less. St- not less scary, but something less like jumpy, something less uh, sporadic. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was the moment at which we realize uh, that there's like a very personal stake in Jess's uh, not only her well-being, but her like autonomy. Yeah. Right? Like she refuses to be defined by uh, her male counterpart, yeah. by her boyfriend. Yeah. And I don't know how much to read into this or not, but uh, like another fascinating detail to me was like it's displayed very prominently in some shots. Like Jess wears like a cross necklace, mm-hmm. um, mm. which is I didn't even notice. Yeah, yep. I, I I caught that as well. Yeah. I, um. Yeah. I don't know the the fact that you have this character who is very vocally, very firmly, um, just like you are not like you, uh, man, are not going to uh, tell me what to do. Um, you know, in any sort of direction, um, but especially not with my body. Uh, and the fact that that symbol is displayed so prominently. Uh, again, uh, I don't want to give this movie too much credit mm-hmm. uh, because it is helmed by a dude, and it is 1974. <laughs> um, but like, it's there, uh, and it means something. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious about where, if anywhere, you have let that moment where you're like, "Oh, this movie is something more than I thought it was going to be." Um, yeah, the, uh, open question, by the way. Yeah. Um, the thing that I, this, it was a consistent thing. I I can't remember when I first thought about it. Um, it was maybe around halfway or two thirds of the way through the movie. Um, you know, we're, we're getting these calls more, uh, more and more frequently. Uh, They're steadily trickling in. Eventually they're, you know, they start tracking them. Uh, we don't see the full face uh, of the killer at all or the, the guy making the calls presumably the guy making the calls and the guy killing people are the same thing they, they always go together um, and we never see we never truly see that that face we never have that that link of this is the person's face uh, and like this is the person who is doing these horrific things um, the fact that that identity and uh, like Peter's identity because Peter's a main suspect um, they're, you know, it's, uh, you know, Batman and Bruce Wayne are never in the same room together. Uh, right. we never see Peter and this, uh, this mysterious phone, uh, pervert killer. Uh, like we, we never get the link between the two. And, uh, it made me think of, yeah, I mean, it's a better movie. I think that we don't see that we don't get the confirmation. Um, and that is intentionally left open. Um, and it plays to, uh, again, probably, hopefully not truly unintentional, like grander thematic 
things that I think like might elevate this movie. Um, but like, just you know, you can read it as you know systemic male oppression. You know, even if you kill it in the form of Peter, like it still exists. There's still some going to be somebody in the house. Uh, this like horrific male presence laughing at you uh, because you have no control over yourself or anything else. Um, and I, I spent a good chunk of the movie hoping that those identities would remain separate. And I'm really glad that they that they did. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think that uh, the thing that to me makes this movie or what elevates this movie is the idea that it plays with unanswered questions or unconfirmed theories on multiple levels. And I think the first time you notice that is, uh, you know, bringing the exterior world in. Uh, it does that sort of bit by bit from the beginning. I mean, the first sort of outside world confirmation is at the party scene at the beginning. The sorority sisters are talking about how uh, some girl from the town got raped by a stranger. And they even the and there's sort of this internalized uh, misogyny happening that all the girls are mentioned or that the Barb and her Barb's response to something like that is you can't rape a townie yeah yeah, yeah. Um, that was a point where I wasn't sure what this movie was going to be and I got very concerned yes right so and that's it's a shocking thing to say five minutes into a movie in which you don't really understand what's happening but I think as you sort of thread these things together you realize that's the first moment that you that you as the audience are understanding something strange is going on yeah and then it actually ties into this into the plot the idea that uh, you know now there's another girl missing there's mm-hmm. a there's a high school student that's gone missing you know the town's on alert now everyone is is finally taking this seriously and uh, as Cody mentioned earlier uh, when you, uh, you sort of when the search comes to fruition the audience never sees the end of it the audience doesn't know what happened to this girl mm-hmm. we don't know how she was killed and it's never specifically connected to what's going on in the general plot of the movie and that sort of unanswered question that 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 tension that mystery is carried in throughout and i mean ultimately the conclusion of the movie is you're briefly led to suspect that everything is fine um all the loose ends are tied up and then the phone rings again and here we are, nothing changed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that sort of seeing those, and again, this is just that sort of slow burn, you know, there's these sort of drips and drabs at the beginning that become more satisfying and more frightening as it goes on that to me, you know, that really elevated the movie. Yeah. I I, I think I agree that like that intangibility, that slight uh, just left of where you think it's going to go or like just not resolving things quite very satisfactorily. Like, like Cody was saying, there's there, it, it points at like a more systemic problem than like identifying the killer and saying like John Paul, you know, whatever is was the killer and it, like Ab or uh, Abigail or whatever the name is that he keeps saying and Billy were like his brother and sister that he also murdered and mm-hmm. they abused his kids. Like to have gone down that rabbit hole is to like get too specific, I think, with what this movie was trying to do. Uh, and to me, that like there, like you said, there's always like. It could be any man. Any man is that, like, could be that way. Could be this. Even, uh, like, the members of the search party that come by, yep. they they freak the shit out of the uh, out of um, Phil um, because it's two guys. One of them is waving a shotgun around. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, they, like, and, you know, to their credit, they don't let these men into the house to, like, search anything. They make up some excuse. But, like, even these two, like, folksy search party members 
um, who are, you know, hanging out for just a little too long. They're being a little too aggressively friendly. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. waving that gun around a little too liberally, um, you know, trying to, you know, pr- protect their these fair maidens, these these sorority girls. Like, like they are, like, in a way also at fault. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that leads me to my next question, which is, like, there are a number of male presences in this movie that uh, – like almost all of them unilaterally are either incompetent or directly evil. Uh, they're either getting in the way or they're like uh, actively working against the main characters, right? Like they're the murderer or they're Peter, who is uh, the jealous controlling boyfriend. Um, and I guess like, what is it about the only like good guy arguably is John Saxon's character, the lead detective who finally takes Jess seriously and like starts setting up the tap. He's still pretty bureaucratic about it and right. not like very realistic. Uh, but is that like, do you find yourself liking that character for that? Or do you still have something of a guard up for him? I would even, um, I would open it up a little bit. Uh, I didn't know if there was anything. Uh, I think the character's name is Chris. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, Claire's. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah the like hockey the guy, boy. Yeah. The guy that, that, um, that she's seeing he uh like like um claire's father they are just kind of there they're hanging out they they offer help in the other um murder case uh but they're pretty non-intrusive beyond that uh we also spend more time than i thought we would have with phone guy um oh yeah uh um graham oh uh, oh the other detective yeah um phil graham who now i'm on imdb is this uh, oh, okay. I, he's the same guy I recognized when we did the video drum episode. Uh, from he's in a Christmas story. It's the Christmas tree. Yes. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So he is on the other end of the tap. He's routing yeah. the call and yep. figuring out where the call is coming from. He yeah. eventually delivers the line like it's coming from inside the house. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 They they kind of they kind of ring that out of him. They, it's a nice build up. Yeah. There like, are like <laughs> three calls that they just barely miss before yeah, like yep. they got to keep him on the phone longer. Yeah. And then he just, you can hear him clearing his throat. And then, <coughs> excuse me. The, <coughs> uh, the calls are coming from inside the house. <laughs> the calls are coming from outside. Shit. Shit. <laughs> no, oh, line. I gotta do it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, to your point, um, yeah, I, uh, with, um, it, again, it feels very um, like ham fistedly good cop, bad cop with John Saxon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily a, a discredit to the screenplay or a discredit to his presence, a discredit to the character. Um, he, at the, at the start of when we were seeing him, he did feel almost more of just like a yes man. Um, like they, if it were, you know, if it were anybody else, if it weren't, you know, um, attractive sorority students, um, or maybe if they hadn't been shut down by Nash, this guy up front, who's probably treating everybody very much the same. I mean, they're a police station. Mm -hmm. Um, they can't necessarily devote the attention to every single issue that they would maybe want to. Uh, but then we see Saxon spend his time exclusively with this case. Um, and I, was wait I was waiting for that to teeter one way or the other as far mm-hmm. as like is this dude okay or is this like is his presence unsettling and I guess I I don't have a conclusion for that yet do you uh, there's a couple of things on him that I think that I, I agree that like I think the film sets him up to be sort of the I mean the best among the worst mm-hmm. in terms of men in this movie yeah. but uh the interesting things that I think go to him ultimately joining this sort of rogues gallery of incompetent or you know actively 
deterring, you know, solving right. anything men is, first of all, his fir- his introduction scene, he's talking to the woman whose daughter is missing. Yeah. And he's clearly not taking her seriously. Yeah. He, she's telling him that she's been missing for 24 hours, and he's like, uh-huh, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that normal? Um, mm-hmm. And... Then Chris, Claire's boyfriend, who clearly has an established relationship with him, That's right. storms into the police station. He drops everything, literally walks yeah. away from this woman mid sob, yeah. and you know, suddenly, oh, you know, my buddy's here, and and I've got a thing to do. So that was the first moment in which I was like, you've got a lot of come, you've got a lot of coming back to do after something like that. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. And then. Ultimately, even though, yes, he does take, you know, he takes them seriously, he's he's trying to protect Jess as best as he can, at the end, he leaves her. Yeah. Yep. He leaves her every, alone in every, the house. Every male presence leaves her. Everybody leaves. They literally shut the lights off mm-hmm. yeah. on her while wow. she's, like, yeah. mending in bed after an attack. And it's not yeah. like she's asleep. She's been drugged. <laughs> yep. Man. Wow. When you put it that way, like... That finale was already great, but like, I mean, in like a shitty way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, holy Very, shit. It hits. Wow. It hits. Excellent framing. I forgot about those. Um, yeah, that the ending of this movie for that and other reasons is so fucking haunting. Right. Uh, we're getting with John Saxon's character, which yeah. I'm only going to call him John Saxon. I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't care what his Lieutenant actual character is. That's his name. <laughs> That's his name. We're Lieutenant only calling John him John Saxon. Saxon. Exactly. John Saxon is a cop in this movie named John Saxon. Yes. <laughs> uh, with respect to his character, we're getting at what I had really hoped we would is that there is no like m- – there are the moments where you want to say like he's the good guy. He's on mm-hmm. her side mm-hmm. because he does do smart things like he offers to tap her phone. He comes to like check out the apartment or the sorority house. He asks questions that nobody else is asking about like uh, what sort of ties Claire had to the rest of the house and you know what she was known to do. He's doing actual like detective work yeah. to detect things. Um there's even but like every one of those is countered by some ambiguous or like not quite morally pure intent or action. Mm-hmm. There was one moment right after they get done searching the house where I thought they were going to position him as like the potential murderer. Yeah. Because like there's this one specific line. Um I think it's the guy who is working on the tap. Yep. He's like, Are there any other phones in the house? Uh and oh, yeah. and and Jess almost answers. She's like Yes, and then he cuts her off, and he's like, "Yes, but it's a different number and in a different place." And like, and like he, they haven't been getting calls. Yeah, and on that, that one phone. hasn't been getting calls. Yep. And I'm like, "How does he know that?" Yep, no yeah. one has established that at all. Yeah, and um, to jump on that points back really quick, like there is some weird like uh, like corner cutting with the police work, mm-hmm. um, probably just for the sake of screenplay convenience. Right. Um, but yeah, that's a really good one. The fact that they never check the fucking attic. Oh, my God. Why don't you check the... Like, uh, from the street, you can see a corpse sitting in a silhouette in this fucking window. So yeah. Claire is the first killed. She's killed in her closet. Yep. Then Miss Mack, she's killed in the, uh, in the in attic. The attic. Yep. Miss Mack in the attic. And they are both just <laughs> left, up left there. They're just hanging out. For... Days apparently. Yeah. Nobody goes up there. No cop goes up nobody there. Nobody sees them. Nobody smells them. Nobody thinks to check. Nobody hears the screaming in the house. Weirdly enough. And where um, where did uh, little Clark or the cat Claude? Where did Claude go? Yeah. Cla- Claude went up to the attic. I and guess. Started, and just and just started eating them. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're too? if you're a cat, you're up there without your meow mix. Like, you're, right. You're gonna get hungry, dude. <laughs> right. Don't talk to me before meow I've mix had my d- meow mix. <laughs> <laughs> meow mix don't grow on trees. No. Not in Canada, anyway. My house, my meow mix, my rules. (laughs) (laughs) 
Very good. Thank you for dating this episode so <laughs> thoroughly. You're welcome. Um, so we've talked a lot about uh, what this movie does that's like anti-trope, mm-hmm. that, it, that it puts a, a few things on their head mm-hmm. um, and tries to weave in something more of a feminist narrative. That might be a little too generous. Right. That's the um, thing. Like, it's here and we're reading it. We're talking about it. But, like... Did Bob Clark have that in mind? Or yeah, I don't know. Wrote this movie, mm-hmm. or I mean, like when they made it, in, I don't know. Dude. In the defense of the people who made this movie, none of like at least Jess is never painted as particularly weak. She right. like does stand up for yeah. herself against Peter several times. Uh, she ends well. Does she end up killing him? Is it? Um, I think yeah. so. Yeah, she kills him in self defense. Yep, yep, presumably. Right, uh, and that's one of those like intangible things where it's like I'm going to read that she killed him in self defense because he was yeah. Uh, you know, going to attack her. Yeah, because he's a dude encroaching upon her space. She obviously has nothing that she, well, like, wants to be doing with him. She wants nothing to do with him. Yeah. And here he is breaking down windows, getting in the house. Yeah, like, stick a fire prod in his Stick a poker face. in him. He's done. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but with, uh, as a counter to all that, I want to know what tropes you saw in this movie that it did indulge in and if those, like, worked for it or those worked against it. Yeah. Um, the and we get it right off the bat. It's like the point of view shot of the mm-hmm. killer as they're maneuvering yes. around places. And again, I was thinking like, wow, wow, they just took this from Halloween. Wait, Halloween came out in nineteen seventy eight. Yeah. So like, this movie took it from something, or it made it its own and ran with it. And like everybody else has been looking at this movie ever, ever since. I'm also not a scholar uh, <laughs> on this particular genre, this movie, or anything for that matter. <laughs> Um, but we do uh, hang out with that killer uh, point of view. Um, it's framed more as like it's this person stalking the sorority house. They're hanging out outside windows, and now they're climbing up uh, the chimney ladder or whatever to get into uh, an attic window. Um, yeah, that window, which can be seen from the street, and you'd think somebody else would sit. And it's shattered. There's a candle yeah, it's there. open. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, that, that was the one very early on where I was like, okay, I think I know what I'm getting myself into. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a campy slasher movie that becomes something else. But that was uh, like, the, I mean, that, it sets that tone right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like unavoidable that you would fall into that mindset of like, this is the movie that I'm watching now. Yeah. Before we jump to Matt, uh, the body cam shots are actually like very pretty, cool pretty good yeah yeah for a movie he starts climbing yeah, you and see I, his hands yeah it's like, yeah. oh wow he's using both hands to climb so what's the camera doing it's 1974 are they using yarn and like scotch tape <laughs> a little they don't baby, even have scotch tape baby back yarn. Then. what's going on <laughs> they didn't yeah. have scotch tape in 1971 yeah, the magic of the movies dude well yeah go figure yeah. <laughs> we, we, how do we get from there to baby yoda right uh, <laughs> we um but like uh those shots, I don't know that they do – I mean, w- they're used pretty sparingly mm-hmm. throughout, like, the rest of the movie, Acts 2 and 3. Yeah. In the beginning, it's pretty heavy because, like, it's supposed to be um, sort of this omniscient view where we're seeing all of the characters at once interacting at this party that they're hosting at the sorority yeah. house. And then it's starkly contrasted by this shaky cam, uh, like, heavy breathing, muttering, vo- like, mumbling voice uh, who ends up in their attic to, to kill the rest of them. Um, did that, like – did that help or hurt your – Maybe not opinion of the movie, but like whether or not it like prepared you for what was going to come. Yeah, um, I I ultimately I th- I think it. I don't want to say it worked for me. It didn't not work for me. Um, the thing is, and I don't know if this is another trope thing or not, um, but like this house is its own character. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think one of the the in fact it plays into the, one of the most frightening moments of the movie after Jess is told over the phone that the calls are coming from inside the house. 
Uh, she's looking around, and we sort of get her look of it. We, she's calling out to her friends who th- she thinks are still alive in the house, pleading them to, to um, you know, call back to her. Um, and we just get different shots of this house that we've seen up until that point, and it's like we don't recognize this place anymore. Yeah. She has no idea like what the like what this house is anymore. What it's not the house that she thinks she's been living in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the mapping of that house is really important, and those point of view shots I think help with that. Yeah. If for any other reason to help us, uh, you know, reaffirm that you know this creep is still in the attic, he's rocking this chair that this the corpse of poor Claire is on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I saw those point of view shots. Like that's the, to me, the purpose they served. And then when we needed to pull back from that and show, you know, the killer's shadow from, you know, over Jess's shoulder or something, we did that. Right. Um, more but, dramatic, less like right. realistic points of view. Exactly. But yeah, I think those shots, uh, to give us more, more reps, uh, with the different spaces, I yeah. think, um, was, was pretty important. And I also think, I mean, just sticking on this for one, yeah. one last point, totally. I think that those point of view shots also, to me anyway, give the most interesting and most upsetting shot in the entire movie, which is after the scene that you're talking about where, uh, Jess is calling to her friends and trying to get them to come out of the house with her. She, does something that's going to lead into what I'm going to talk about about a trope yeah. um, yes. and goes back upstairs yep. and yeah. tries to get them and she goes into Barb's room sees Barb and uh, Phil's dead bodies on top of each other is horrified falls backwards and in the crack of uh. the door you see the killer's eye yep. and it is so frightening I, yeah. that I just like that again like that and that's you're seeing that you're seeing what she is seeing you mm-hmm. are seeing Jess's perspective and it is so jarring and so yeah. frightening so I think that this is again you know sort of engaging with that that point of view use and yeah. so yeah that's, like this this house is always watching you yes uh, like <laughs> yeah. either you know um, from the point of view of this pervert uh, or like systemically like literally it's like this house is a vaguely male presence that is always watching you and does not have your best interests oh, in mind. Oh, gross. What a good point. Love God, this is a Cody's notie for sure. Oh, I love uh, that. I got something else for the noties. But yeah, the eyes were really disturbing. The the shadows mm-hmm. that we get from the dude when he's in the basement trying to look in. Yeah, yeah. so she makes her way down to the basement. Yep. There's light cast uh, from the outside. It's still evening time, uh, but you just see like the slowly plotting feet of yeah. presumably the killer, but maybe it's Peter. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, yeah, right. yeah. And, like, slowly crouching down and putting his face against the glass. Oh, God. Um, You said that you were going to lead into a talk about trope. Yes. So uh, this is a – I mean, this is an unavoidable trope, I think, in this genre, which is people making stupid decisions. Oh, my God. Um, This movie certainly indulges in it. And I think the most profound example of people making stupid decisions that, you know, people will scream at basically every horror movie, which is get the fuck out of the house. (laughs) Why are you still in the house? And I mean that at first it it's almost comical that they're still there. And then at the end of it, it is you. I feel like you've dove into absurdity at that point because Mm -hmm. literally the movie is over the the killer supposedly is dead you're taking the bodies out of the house and everyone's first uh, thought is well let's leave Jess here she can yeah. she can sleep it off oh here my God, dude. and that's just i mean i couldn't tell if that was the movie was poking fun at the 
the idea that like these people have never left this house so of course why wouldn't they leave the house <laughs> but uh, that's uh, to me that was it, it was simultaneously you know you can see an engagement with with a trope but also sort of off putting yeah yeah uh the like i have two defenses there one it, it they're not good defenses but i want to i, I want to bring them out to see if like they're going to work one she gets news that the killer is in the house from detective from police officer nash mm-hmm. who is a complete dumbass yep. it has and no he idea makes what he's the shitty about. decision of he's told like hey whatever you do do Don't not tell, tell her do not tell her yeah. explicitly that the calls are coming from inside the house do not tell her that tell her to leave the house and be calm about it tell her directly exactly that and that within she, about 10 seconds he's screaming but, at her but, but oh, the calls are coming from inside the house listen jess the calls are coming from miss yeah. whatever um so that i think at least plot-wise, if we're going to cinema sins, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it explains why she might, like, be reticent to take yeah. that advice. Um, and then, too, like, I think that the idea that they have all left her – of course, it makes for a perfect ending. Mm-hmm. It works thematically for me. It's stupid, but it works. Right. Is that tracking the arc of this movie's story, women just want to make decisions about themselves. Men stop them or kill them. Men think they've fixed the problem. And then they leave. Men abandon the problem (laughs) without it being fixed. Like the festering underbelly of the problem is still there, still Mm -hmm. in the house. This house hates them. The house is living for all intents and purposes because there's like a malevolent presence in its attic. Father house has killed the house mother and now like – it will wreak havoc. Right. Yeah. You wonder if if Jess had been awake here, would she have been like, hey, I get that like you did this part, but like – Claire and Mrs. Mack are still missing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, I understand that this uh, 120-pound, frail, 55-year-old-ass man uh, just, like, fainted on my floor. Do you really need him to, like, take him to a hospital <laughs> right now? I am uh, uh, unconscious um, <laughs> and alone in this sorority house where uh, – which you did all – you all did not check – 100% thoroughly. Mm-hmm. You think maybe one of you could stick around, preferably, like, with a firearm? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's... It, it's funny because there's a man, a cop posted outside. Yeah. See, as, like, the... As the shot pulls out yeah. from her room and from the attic, uh, there's a cop outside as the phone's ringing. He appears to, like, notice but he, not check. Right. Yeah. He hears the phone ringing, but then... Yeah, he, he's just like, well, that's yeah. not my problem anymore. Uh, let's back up and talk about the ending. Yep. Um, I feel like I'm getting close to the end of what I actually wanted to talk about with this movie. So yeah. I'll let this be my exeunt, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the film, we see, of course, the uh, Claire's father is fainting. So every cop in the, enti- in the entire province decides yep. to cart him to the hospital, uh, turn off the lights, and leave Jess to, I don't know, she's going to dehydrate at the very least. Yeah, like, she's um, unconscious on her bed. They do not shut the door. They do not lock They don't the do door. anything. Again, there's that cop posted outside, but like... What what, sh- what in shit is he going to do? He's yeah. just the beat cop, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and we see like very agonizingly slowly, so painful, these shots, because it's a shot of her room with her just like reclining on the bed, uh, lights are off, and then it slowly pans to... Uh, to another room where uh, Barb was killed. Mm. Then it slowly pans to Claire's room where Claire was killed, going backward in time to, like, the beginning of the movie. And then it points up at the um, at the stairway, at the ladder to the attic. You see the light flickering. You hear a little bit of mumbling, like, he's still there. Then an establishing shot of the house that's pulled out, just like we were pulling in at the beginning of the movie. And the phone starts ringing. Terrifying. Absolutely yeah. just a howling out loud, terrifying moment for yeah. this movie to end on. No music. 
no dialogue, just a constant ringing that gets louder and louder as the credits go. Mm. Uh, perfect ending to this movie because, again, nothing was fixed. Yeah. Nothing was changed. I agree. Uh, yeah, that final sequence is – it's gorgeous, dude. Like, yep. it, it's so good. Um, and I feel like – like, we notice, I think, more often maybe as, like – moviegoers when something doesn't use music and it like works really well not to say that like movies that play you know a, a non-diegetic score throughout its runtime like not that those can't be good but like there isn't a lot of mu- music used in this movie and like that was like the objectively good choice mm-hmm. um there is diegetic music um there are carolers um Man, what the fuck is up with caroling? Like, what a bizarre oh thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, we need to focus on that for a moment because yeah. I've never had carolers, carolers come to any house that I've lived at. Mm-hmm. But, like, this in this movie, it's used specifically as a way to, like, get one – like, to s- separate characters. Right? Yeah. To get Phil lured into Barb's – no. To kill Barb, yeah. While Jess is like dealing with them, yeah. and just watching. And that them. was a really, that was a really beautiful sequence. Like, there's like people are, are like, uh, there's a, a high school. They call her a child. Um, so I'll continue with that. Uh, a child, a child was murdered in this movie, and then we we see children who are are not dead. Uh, right. They're celebrating Christmas. They're caroling. So that's uh, like it takes us away from that for a bit. But it, you're right, it does separate the two, and it's a really it's a weird thing to say. It is a beautiful death sequence, Mm -hmm. um, cross cutting between the carolers and, um, you know, the, as we begin to see this house does not belong to these sorority sisters anymore so much as it belongs to this presence. And like the little parts of, you know, this house that each person has, uh, um, Barb has these like glass unicorn figurines. One of those is used to kill her, uh, impale her multiple times from the looks of it. Um, but yeah, like that is, uh, we we hear that diegetic caroling music, and we're we're cutting between these these stabbings, these shadows. Uh, another creepy eye shot um, mm-hmm. during that sequence, uh, right before Barb Barb gets impaled. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot what point we were talking about. We were talking about we were talking about <laughs> the music. end. Yeah, we were talking at the very yep. end. Yep. Um, and how like there's no music at the end there. Yes. You were bringing up yep. uh, music, and I wanted to get back. Sorry, I know I said it was my last point, but it wasn't. <laughs> Um, this is pointception. I mean, we'll find our way back. Because, to because yeah, everybody, everybody noticed it. Yeah. I want to hear yeah. what you guys yeah. thought, too. The music in this movie, there is, like, something of a score. It's yep. not yeah. all entirely diegetic. Yeah. but And it's just, like, it seems to have consisted, sorry, it was written by yeah. uh, somebody named Carl Zittrer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it appears to have been composed by just slowly wiping your palm against the like strings yeah, of a piano you're right. yep. it's just those discordant like airy notes with yeah. no beginning and no end just mm-hmm. sort of like fading sound uh and that is like made text by yeah. a scene in which peter just beats the shit out of his piano yeah. because he por- performs poorly before like a panel a review of judges to become a concert pianist that's mirrored directly in the like the story yep and then it's Piece throughout, like this violence against a piano, violence against the women in this movie. Mm. It's just like I'm really just yeah. free associating at this yeah. point. Yeah, I, but I, it, that's what we've been doing. I, I love think it. it works. Yep. Yeah. I I just like I could not. Whenever I heard that, mm-hmm. it's like another muscle tenses in this. Like yeah. my shoulders get higher up on my body. Well, and you made the point earlier. You know, this is not 
this is a movie that doesn't do jump scares. Right. So normally in a movie where there, where there's jump scares, the score jumps with the scare. So in order to, or because the movie, you know, at its core is avoiding that, the score has to be used differently and more creatively and, uh, you know, more uniquely in that sense. And I think that that's, you know, that goes to exactly what you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it like, it, it will stick with me. Like it's a discordant sound, but like it's going to be one of the strongest things I remember about this movie is how it's, like you said, how it's deployed. It's not so mm-hmm. much what like the content of it is it doesn't have to be like calm music when there's uh, like the whole sound design of this film works so well like the way that it equates the calling with like uh, a high-pitched screaming and Mm -hmm. the way that it just ends on a cacophonous basically a scream the entire movie ends with that phone call ringing yep boy howdy um yeah again i don't want to get give too much credit to this movie uh, because <laughs> I, even though I'm giving it a lot of credit, I really enjoyed my experience watching it. Yeah. It was incredibly unpleasant. It's probably not for everybody. I will be posting a content warning about some of the for like, sure. specifically plot uh, moments in this film and some of the script. Yeah. Um, but like if slasher movies are your thing, if you've got a, a heart for it, damn, it's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking here and I feel like I'm stumbling into loving this movie. Yep. Um, but a lot of that does admittedly fall on like uh, authorial intent. Mm-hmm. Um, how much of this subtext was planned out in advance, or is it just, you know, it's 2019 and we're reading this in a way that, you know, based on how it was composed, it is being read, maybe it should be read, maybe not. Um, but, like, there are a lot of good pieces here mm-hmm. um, that comprise a whole that was maybe on accident, maybe not. The author is dead, man. Yeah. Yeah, true. Uh, does anybody want to give, like, their favorite part of this movie before we get to your noties? Um, like, was there a moment that, like, really you, you you enjoyed, actually? Yeah. I mean, there were, there are a few, and admittedly, they're barbisms. That's, like, one thing that's, like, kind of a bummer. I, I understand the movie that this needs to become, uh, and in order to do that, Barb needs to be out of the picture. Um, she first goes to sleep and then gets killed. Um, not before showing us that she has asthma, which was nice representation. I don't have asthma anymore, but... Um, uh, remember the thought? She yep. does not use that inhaler at all. No, no, she doesn't. She just puts it to her mouth and breathes yep. in and out. It's yeah, like it I, I use one of those things pretty Bob regularly. Bob Clark did not use an inhaler. No. Um, I, Bob Clark, <laughs> uh, I will jump back to 1974. I will be uh, like a technical advisor for this movie. I will yeah. show you how that Margo shit works. Margot Kidder, not a method actor. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously not. Oh, my God. She did not simulate the asthma experience no. for this film. <laughs> um, the times when uh, she was on screen, I... Uh, was having a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun anyway, but it was a different flavor of fun. Um, they have this uh, um, this cr- weird man. This really weird. It feels like uh, like it's presented kind of as philanthropy, uh, but it's like this weird Christmas party, like sitting with Santa at the sorority oh, house. Oh yeah. Um, but there, I actually think that's Phil's boyfriend who's playing Santa. Oh yeah, yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. Is yep, that? Oh, is. that makes so much that's sense. That's right. I yep. They were sitting together at the start. Um, no, you're totally correct. <laughs> and. Um, yeah, like the, they're just hanging out. Uh, eventually, like Barb starts feeding this kid booze, uh, and it's um, uh, Claire's father, I think, who's on the phone was, or he's talking with someone. It's She's a, in the it back. was a, one of those diopter shots. Yep. Um, it felt very De Palma. It was a really great shot where yep, he yep. was in the foreground and she was in the back talking to this kid and like slowly but surely tipping this plastic cup of booze up to his mouth, and she says, um, "I think the little bugger schnockered, son of a bitch." <laughs> <laughs> It's delightful. It's a strong that really it tickled me. Uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. Did anything stick out for you? Well, I just okay. So I I would like to talk a little bit just to give her her due. I'd like to talk a little bit about Mrs. or Miss Mac. Yes, I, yeah. We kind of we've kind of skipped over her. I looked at I I looked at the actress who played her. This seems like was her big kind of one of her big roles. She's a Canadian, like a working Canadian actress. Mm-hmm. So you know she's presented as sort of this this. I mean, like, she's the interiority that she's given is very interesting because it seems yeah. very much like the, the girls don't understand her. Yeah. yeah. Um, or they, I mean, they don't take her, they clearly don't take her seriously because she doesn't take herself seriously. Right. But I think that they think of those things as two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's really important to the plot of this, not only because it's her second phone line that is critical to the calls coming from inside the house, mm-hmm. yeah. um, but she's sort of a tragic character in her own way. I mean, she's clearly disappointed with her lot in life because she's, you know, doing a job that I think is rather thankless, clearly. Uh, the girls give her a, like, like a nighty for Christmas. A that really is, unappealing yeah, nightgown it's as it's framed. Yeah, it's simultaneously too short, but also flannel. <laughs> um, and Please critique this a little yeah, further. So there's, I mean, there's just a lot there. I mean, she's a drunk, so she's clearly disappointed. And I think that it's played for comedy, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting about it is when they finally show the phone calls coming from inside the house and you realize there's a throwaway bit at the beginning when she's first introduced us to something uh, you know she's some vaudeville something you see on her on a music stand behind the phone that she actually was in a vaudeville act when she oh. and it was it was like the something sisters oh yeah and it's it's so interesting that it's like Okay, so there's like this very there's this sort of yeah. tragic element to this woman that makes her you know that makes where she is and her role in all of this you know somewhat interesting. And again, that was I don't know who's responsible for that. That's I mean I think that I think what one of the things that we're kind of concluding is that a lot of this could be you know stuff that we're pulling out of thin air, pieces that we're tying together ourselves. Sure. But I think that there is some sort of synergy there between writing, directing you know, set design, what have you, art direction that sort of created all of that and that made her interesting. And one other thing about Mrs. Mack that I wanted to throw out there is in the 2006 remake of Black Christmas... Mrs. Mac or Miss Mack is played by Andrea Martin, who plays Phil. Oh my god. In the original. That's so good. I I just love Andrea Martin so much so I just had to throw that out there. Yeah. Uh no Holy shit, what a tidbit. Um, I kind of want to see the 2006 version. I do too. No. It's got a lot yeah. of famous people in it. I, I, I like famous like, people. quote, quote, famous. Yeah. Like, yeah. like oh, yeah. definitely like mid-2000s teen, like Michelle Trachtenberg. Oh, I think Mary like, at the Spy? Uh, oh, what is her, uh, no, what's her name from uh, from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World? Uh, Mary, Mary Elizabeth, Elizabeth Winstead? Winstead? Yes. Wow. So, I'm going to see this like, movie tomorrow. That's like sky high, like, oh, yeah, like yeah. around that time. Yes. Was she in Sky High? Yes, yeah, yeah the superhero movie. Yeah, I remember Sky I just didn't. That movie. Um, huh. Yeah, I'm glad we're giving uh, Ms. Mack her due. Uh, there, al- there always seemed to be a disconnect. Like, the fact that she is hiding booze in a house full of, like, sorority sisters. Yeah. Like, always, f- like, felt like, like that's a weird thing to just play for laughs. Um, and I, like you said, this may be me and us, like, tying points together right. yeah, uh, they, that, that don't fit. But, like, th- it always seemed like there was something there, like a misunderstanding or, like, either the sisters didn't understand her because they couldn't or because they never made the effort. effort. Yeah. Right. Well, there's something like, uh, not to 
dwell on her too long, but yeah. there's something of like a power and generational differential, mm-hmm. right? Because she's supposed to be like matriarch of the house. She's supposed to watch over the kids. Uh, and she doesn't resent them. Like right. she doesn't like the gifts that they got her. Uh, and they probably knew that she wouldn't like, yeah, they, 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 they yeah. seem like pretty hip kids. Um, but that they, uh, there's there's one scene where she um, right after dealing with Claire's dad who has come to visit and is perturbed by by Claire's uh, absence, where she is like uh, these people expect me to like watch over their kids I'm I'm not gonna like moralize to them or right. whatever I forget her exact line mm-hmm. yeah. but it and it's like she's she's absolutely right right like, yeah she's being told by you know uh, a patriarchal figure yeah. to Claire's like, father right. To moralize to yeah. these children, raise in a way my she, kid exactly. Yeah. In a way that she like can't, doesn't want to, and has like a, probably did not as at, when she was growing up. Right? She was successful in a vaudeville act. She probably isn't a like modern figure of puritanical like right. uh, upbringing. Yeah. Um. So I just I, I, it goes like I do regret that we didn't bring her up earlier because she is a really big part of this movie, even though she's like the second death. Yeah. And she's pretty. She's just hu- literally hung out to dry. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It was, yeah. it was a bad. bad uh, that's okay. So there you go. That was my. That was my. No, my, my grab. Great, yeah. great pull. Great pull. Um, that, is, that is a great grab. Um, or, uh, I think. I think I'm near done. Yeah. Um, we do. Uh, 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 I hate that I'm introducing the Cody's noties. They since I You'll take the, the most <laughs> notes uh, visibly during these things. Uh, Harry and Jason and Co. thought it would be cool to to start a bit uh, <gasps> based around. My my noties. The fr- mm. it, the bit is that it's the phrase Cody's noties sung in the sister sister theme. Oh, Cody's noties. I love that. Never knew how much he wrote these. <laughs> oh, there's more. Why are you uh, writing this a theme to this thing you hate? That was my notie. No, um, <laughs> and this is uh this is going to be a softball uh, of a notie. Um, but it is uh theoretically Christmas softball. Eve. We're talking sports. Yeah, I'm also the sports correspondent. Oh, um, yeah, just I don't know shit about sports. Yeah, uh, nobody on this pod does ex- except <laughs> me, um, apparently. But um, it is we are theoretically releasing this on Christmas Eve. Um, we uh, said at the beginning, uh, Bob Clark, rich filmography. Uh, in 1983, he released. Uh, I mean, with the rest of the cast and crew, um, you know, uh, to give everybody their due. I'm not going to go through them by name right now. Uh, but a Christmas story came out, um, and every I can't remember how long we've been doing it, and I can't remember how long the tradition has come up, but uh, as y'all in this room and y'all listening are probably aware, uh, TBS um, does a a 24-hour running of A Christmas Story. Um, I believe it's uh, like 7 p.m. Central Time to uh, 7 p.m. on – 7 p.m. Central Time Christmas Eve to, you know, 24 hours the next day. Uh, There was – there were uh, there were a couple years where they did the same thing. I think on um, I want to say it was TNT uh, mm-hmm. it, or USA or something like that where they did it and they offset it by an hour. Um, and like the commercials rarely lined up, uh, so you could like flip between the two channels. Um, my dad and I uh, pride ourselves on that tradition. Wherever we end up going, uh, it's usually we're either at our house or my uh, my grandparents' house, uh, also in Rochester, Minnesota, with some relatives. We always have that running in the background. Uh, not everybody is as into it as we are, um, but that is a nice uh, uh, holiday tradition that I like, and that is a, a, ho- a holiday movie that has become a staple um, to my uh, just you know yearly traditions. Um, I'm curious if you two have any uh, holiday traditions specific. Since we're talking about movies, and this is a movie podcast, uh, I'm looking for like if there are movies that you go back to, um, but also it can be anything because we can talk about whatever we want. 
I do not have any film-based traditions. Uh, one of my favorites is um, shit. I always forget the name of it. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, the Jimmy Stewart when an angel. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I watched. I, watched, I rewatched that every Christmas. Well, that too. title has nothing to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't all. know. It turns out he has it's a wonderful life a after all. It should be called Jimmy Stewart's Wonderful Life. <laughs> right. Um, every once in a while, I think of the title of that movie, and I play it like that song from Annie. Uh, it's a wonderful life, life for us. Nice. Uh, for no particular reason. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so, no, I don't – while I don't have uh, film-based specifically, um, I I try to watch Christmas E films. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorites – another one of my favorites is Tokyo Godfathers. Oh. Uh, that is a Satoshi Kon film, the guy who made Paprika. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, you, uh, you accumulated all the Satoshi Kon movies on Blu-ray recently, I recently didn't did. you? Wow. Uh, I, I love that filmmaker. Uh, he uh, passed too early. Uh, it's an anime film, so if you're not really into that, maybe give it a skip. But it's a great movie. Um, very, it's set around Christmas time. And, yeah. uh, and very I'm making much note of that now. Taking in a, a, a young child off the streets, like a baby off the streets. Uh, anyway, nice. uh, that's, that's a long way to say. Yeah. Matt, do you have any movies you walk around with Christmas? Um, Yes and no. So I definitely am a I'm like a holiday season movie person. Mm-hmm. So I tend to start on Thanksgiving and go through Christmas. Hell so yeah. uh, uh, traditional Thanksgiving viewing for me is Home Alone, the first Home Alone movie, yep. uh, because so much of it is about the lead up to Christmas. Yeah. Um, Christmas. A Christmas actual movie would be uh, Home Alone Two. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. So you tweeted about this. I, I did. Think. Yes. Yeah. Home Alone One Great is point. a Thanksgiving movie. Home Alone Two is a is a Christmas. Amazing movie. point. Yes. Um, so uh, beyond that, uh, once Thanksgiving happens, it becomes okay to watch other Christmas movies. Yep. So then, generally, or or seasonal movies, so it's movies that have winter scenes in them. Uh, the 1994 version of Little Women, I watch a lot oh, during yep. the holidays. <laughs> um, the Family Stone, uh, oh, yeah. which I'm embarrassed to love. <laughs> um, and uh, I will say that we are a not It's a Wonderful Life family. Mm. Um, my mother really hates Jimmy Stewart's voice. Whoa. So that's whoa, 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 a, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's, what's wrong with my voice? So that's a, and, and also she hates happy things. So, that's, <laughs> yeah. so that, that's, that movie is, is forbidden in, in our household. To be fair, that's a very happy movie. Yeah. Like almost sickeningly it's, so, it, it depending on your mood. It is grossly sweet. I mean yeah. – that's why I watch it once a year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah. I I watch uh, the sound of music on Easter every year, which is another great choice. So wow. strange, yeah. But also, hey, yeah. Um, yeah, I like uh, growing up. Like the Home Alones were in the mix too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christmas Vacation. We had a, oh, a, yeah. a period of time where that was. Um, if you haven't seen Christmas Vacation, I have. Okay, yeah, I've I, seen. I think I've seen it. Okay, I'm just kind of throwing out. Like I don't know. We're, we're Oh, uh, I was considering making The Apartment a, a New Year's tradition. It is a great New Year's movie. I, I did watch that last New Year's Eve, and I tried to time it out so that I had plans by myself, um, peeling back the curtain on my life um, a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I was I watched um, a handful of movies. I think that day I watched, like, First Reformed, mm. something else, and then I timed it out so I was watching The Apartment so that, like, when it ended, it was like, boom, midnight, baby. Wow, uh, man. And then I stayed up and watched uh, the most recent two-and-a-half-hour Mission Impossible movie, which was... Uh, Fallout? That, that was a choice, yeah. It's a pretty uh, good movie. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, I mean, it's fine. Yeah. And I will say, I finally watched Die Hard for the first time last Christmas. I, I, I do accept that it is a Christmas movie. It's fine. Not yeah. a controversial statement. No. Yeah. I, I, it's the fact that that is like such an intense discussion point is like like that is the take whether or not it's a Christmas movie. Like that's it's whatever. It's fine. Cool. Um, it's it. a fine movie. Yeah. It's a Christmas movie. I like Die, I like Die Hard quite a bit. Um, I yeah. I don't. It, it doesn't revolve around Christmas for me, but I understand it for those who do. That mm-hmm. makes sense. That's fine. Watch whatever you want when you want. 
so wherever you are, I really hope that you're watching your favorite holiday films or just films or maybe not if you hate films and are just listening to this because you like podcasts. If you hate films, I can't blame you. We hate <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm going to give uh, uh, Matt one last chance to plug whatever you got to plug. I mean, I, I don't really your have ads. Yeah, your... I don't really have to. I, I plug my ads. So, yeah, Mattyost, M-A-T-T-Y underscore O-S-T. Um, you'll mostly find me complaining about a lot of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, politics, uh, gay culture, uh, movies. Those are my. Those are the three things that I complain about the most. Um, so, yeah. The first and last follow you need for those three things. <laughs> yeah. Can attest to that. I've uh, I've been followed annoying, you. Uh, been uh, you for ten years. Yeah. Um. Something significant was lost. Um. What, what is it? A couple years ago, when you left Twitter, uh, I'm very glad that you're back in the the Twitter sphere. Um. It enhances my my timeline considerably. Uh. And my life for having you in it. Uh. The two of you. Uh, oh. Thankful for things this uh, holiday season. So um. Thanks for being here. This was really fun, you guys. This is yeah. wonderful. Thank, thank you, you for thank you for being on, Matt. Yeah. It was great to have you. Love to have you another time. I would love that. Hell yeah. Uh, thank you very much for listening to Try Love. You can find it at uh, Try Love Podcast on Twitter. You can find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema on Twitter and Instagram. Um, great follow, great people. Uh, thanks again to the Trilon for showing this movie mm-hmm. uh, in advance uh, of, of the holiday so that we could actually schedule it out. Um, uh, and uh, do you have one of those fun stingers? Yeah, you line? always ask me that, and I always say, like, yeah, like, I'll, I'll do it. I can I, cut this. <laughs> yeah. But are we doing outros? You, did you say your Twitter handle? Am I saying oh, my stuff? Jason, Nintendoofus. Yeah, okay. I've been Cody, uh, at Cody underscore BH. Um, you don't have to follow me. You should. Oh, you okay. should. You should follow him. Uh, I'm on Letterboxd, too. Everybody here is on Letterboxd. We are. Um, True. Uh, it, I think this year uh, I've become increasingly thankful for the community that like is a part of Letterboxd, and like it's scratching certain itches that I've felt uh, with movies after studying um, film at school. So, uh, like, help us scratch those itches. We can do that together. Um, follow us. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> and we'll, uh, oh, and, we'll follow you. And I want to hear what you have to say about Keep movies. an ear out really cool. for, I'm going to lock us to this, The Golden Berries, uh, a series of yes. uh, awards that we plan to give ourselves for um, for <laughs> a, 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 the Trilon Year in Review. Oh. Uh, the Golden we're gonna, Berries. We're going to be recording that uh, not too long from now, and it should be coming at you uh, on New Year's Eve. Yeah, so be on the lookout. That'll be something. I can't wait to listen to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're finally going to listen to our podcast. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Hit us. What a holiday that will be. Um. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. You're not going to have the cute I, out. Yeah, I'm going to wait. Ho, 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 fuck.